on this perfect, magical Shabbat of Thanksgiving weekend. I am thinking, and have been thinking a lot all week, about Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is a football player, he's a quarterback, he's a starting quarterback for the Jackson Fall Jaguars. As a freshman, he led his team, Clemson, to an NCAA championship, and he was immediately labeled a can't-miss prospect, a generational talent, uh, the arm strength, the size, the vision. He was going to be one of the best football players, one of the best quarterbacks ever. He was drafted first the year that he came out. Sadly, the first year and a half of his career hasn't been quite like that. That's a separate sermon for next week. But... When he came out, he was just beyond heralded. Now, what does Trevor Lawrence have to do with our Thanksgiving? And what does Trevor Lawrence have to do with our moment in shul now with Parshat Toldot? And the answer is a lot, because Trevor has a brother named Chase, Chase Lawrence. And Chase Lawrence, unlike Trevor, has zero interest in sports, zero interest in football, has not played or watched team sports since middle school. Rather, Chase Lawrence has always been drawn to art. He's a professional artist, both a sculptor and a painter, and his wife, Brooke, is a sculptor and a painter. And you wonder, how could that be? How can it be that two brothers share the same mother, the same father, the same home, the same family, and yet they're so different from one another. One is an artist who has zero interest in sports. One is an athlete who has zero interest in art. Same and yet so different? How can it be? And this is many of our family's issues now, especially around Thanksgiving, because on Thanksgiving, children and grandchildren come home, including from, apparently, Jersey. <laughs> and you have kids who grow up and out, and grandchildren who grow up and out, and then they live in Jersey, and they come back from that and other places as well. And now you have adults who sit around a Thanksgiving table. You have adults who sit around a Shabbos dinner table. You have adults who realize this paradox that we have so much in common, like we all grew up around this table. We all grew up with these parents. We all grew up with these grandparents. We all grew up with these rituals. We all grew up with these songs. We all grew up with these moves. We all grew up here. We all grew up. We all grew up. We all grew up here. We have so much in common, and yet now you're adults, and Lord, Lord, we are just so different from one another. How do we think about the reality the blessing, and the challenge of sibling diversity. 
And that is, of course, also the driving question in our Torah reading this morning, Toldot. And our Torah amps up the conundrum. It amps it up as if it weren't complicated enough because Jacob and Esau share the same womb at the same time. And yet they emerge so different. Esau is Ish Sadeh, the outside guy. Jacob is Yoshev Ohalim, the inside guy, the homebody. And if you think that this is just like an old Bible story, these are old Bible categories. I have seen these categories among siblings in my own family, the same categories. So we have a nephew named David who was born and raised in Jerusalem. He has lived his whole life in Jerusalem. He has never lived anywhere but Jerusalem. He went to college in Jerusalem. You're never going to guess where he went to graduate school. In Jerusalem. He got his rabbinical ordination in Jerusalem. You'll never believe where his wife grew up in Jerusalem. They are no, they are right now the co-rabbis of a Masorti congregation in Jerusalem, and they are raising their two daughters in Jerusalem. His entire life is within a mile radius in Jerusalem. And he has an older brother who's 18 months older, Yehuda. Many of you might know because he's lived with us from time to time over the years. And the minute Yehuda's army service was over, he was out of Jerusalem and out of Israel. Yehuda's move, and he works remotely in this remote age, is to do Airbnbs wherever. Greece, Airbnb for a month. Brazil, Airbnb for a month. Thailand, Airbnb for a month. During the pandemic, again, he's working remotely. He literally drove an old uh, Toyota from the East Coast to the West Coast, hung out at whatever hotel he could be in, worked his few hours remotely. So you have a homebody who never leaves Jerusalem. And you have a worldly traveler who just is on the road, it's always wandering. And they are together around the same Shabbat table in Jerusalem this weekend. So if you are a sibling, and your siblings are just so very different from you, or if you are a parent, and you have children who are just so very different from one another, you love them all, but oh my God, they are just so different from one another, how do we think about this issue of sibling and children diversity? So I once heard a TED Talk that is not explicitly about sibling diversity, but it is all about sibling diversity. The TED Talk was given by a man named John Wooden. John Wooden was the most winning coach in the history of college basketball. His team won the NCAA championship 10 out of 12 years. That's a record. Like a big simus was made out of Mike Krzyzewski of Duke, a few, you know, who retired last year. Krzyzewski won four. Wooden won 10. 
No one has ever even come close to that. He won eight, his teams won 88 games in a row. No one has ever come close to that. And Coach Wooden died at the age of 99. And at the age of 91, he's 91, he gives this TED Talk, which is beyond amazing. And it's about the difference between what he calls winning and being successful. And Coach Wooden teaches that there is all the difference in the world between winning and being successful. Winning means that you do better than the other team. You score more points than the other team. But being successful means that you become the ever better version of your own self. When it comes to winning, the competition is the other team. When it comes to being successful, the competition is you yourself. Are you doing better than you did yesterday? Are you growing? Are you optimizing your potential? And ironically, for the most winning coach in the history of his sport, Coach Wooden downplayed winning. And he said what's most important is that his players be successful human beings and successful players secondarily, and that means that they would reach their full potential. So for example, and this is just so it's well known, and you could see this with old tapes. He taught his players the importance of body language, which is win or lose, your body language should be the same. He had the following standard. If a visitor from Mars were to come to our locker room after a game, I would not want them to know whether we won or lost based on your body language. Win or lose, the body language should be the same because it's not about winning, it is about being successful, meaning that you have become the best person and the best player that you could be. And he's asked on this TED tape, who were your most successful players? And you would think he might say, oh, my most successful player was Lou Alcindor, who became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who led the team to multiple championships and scored more points than anybody in the NBA, but he doesn't say that. You think he might say Bill Walton led his team to championships, championships with the NBA, he doesn't say that. He says, by far his most successful players, Conrad Burke and Doug McIntosh. Now, no one has ever heard, everyone has heard of Jabbar and Walton, no one has heard of Conrad Burke and Doug McIntosh. Why are they your most successful players? He says, they were very limited athletically. They were short, they were slow, and they could not jump, which are not great qualities for a basketball player. <laughs> but although they were challenged athletically, he's never seen players do more with what they had. They would come to practice early and stay late. They practiced their shooting relentlessly, so they were dead-eye shooters. And they couldn't jump, which made it hard to rebound, but they became students of the art and science of rebounding. And they studied how a ball will karam off the rim or the backboard if, it, if, it, if the shot is not made, and then they would use position and strategy to muscle their way to rebounds, and they, were, it, they just constantly were conditioning, doing great conditioning so that they could be relentless defenders. Conrad Burke, Doug McIntosh, not Jabbar, not Walton, were his most successful players because they did the most they could with what they had, 
That's the goal of life, to be fully who you can be. Now, that Torah would seem to apply to our question about sibling diversity. That is to say that if you have around your Thanksgiving table uh, an athlete and an artist, a homebody and a traveler, okay, so I want to nurture the individuality of every person, celebrate the artist's art and the athlete's touchdowns, and the homebody's love of routine and the traveler's love of travel and changing it up, it should seem that that could solve a lot of family drama. It would seem that if we could just celebrate each person and, and, and encourage every person to be who they want to be, that we could all just get along and less drama. But there must be something more to it than that because there is more to it than that. And what that bumps up against, if we're being honest, is that we also want the loved ones in our life to kind of be like us. Be yourself, but we also like it when they're like us, and those bump up against one another. So I, I was speaking with a person who has a sibling, um, and they have had a loving and lifelong relationship, and this sibling is near the end of his days, he's in his last chapter, and our member was spending a lot of time with his sibling, and they're trying to make deep peace with their friendship. Because after all, with siblings, I mean, you know this, but it's worth saying, the person who knows you longest when you get to be, you know, my age and older, the person you go way, way back with is your sibling. Because even your spouse doesn't know you in the early years, and if your parents have passed, and friends, you don't have most friends, right? So the person who knows you longest, your sibling. And they looked at each other. We are the people who have known each other longest. How can we make a deep peace with one another? And there was only one issue, which was the politics were very different. She's from Newton. He lives in the Deep South. And they have very different politics. And they talked about, could we be deeply okay with difference that just is? Could we be deeply okay with difference that just is? We're not going to solve it. We're not going to resolve it. We're not going to make it go away. We're going to be deeply okay with difference that just is. And if we can do that, then we can be in deep Zen with one another. Now, it's easier to do that with art and athletics and with home and travel. But can you do that when the difference cuts to a core value of what makes you you? And this is a real question, not a rhetorical question. Can you be deeply okay with difference that just is, can't solve it, can't make it go away, when it cuts to a core value of who you are? So I want to offer you a, a prayer that we could channel the wisdom of Menachem Mendel of Kutsk, the Kutsker Rebbe. Here's what he said. I got this from my father-in-law, and I've always loved it. And I feel like this is uh, a big spiritual challenge. But this is what we need to do if we want to have true peace and true Zen around our Thanksgiving table 
and with people who we love who are very different from us. Here's the Kutzker Rebbe's teaching. If I am I, because you are you, and if you are you, because I am I, then I am not I, and you are not you. But if I am I, because I am I, and if you are you, because you are you, then I am I, and you are you, and now we can have a real conversation, and now we can have a real relationship, and now we can do life with real love in the presence of real difference. Happy Thanksgiving and Shabbat Shalom.